Welcome to episode 575 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your movies, music, shows, and games. And we are not in Las Vegas. No, but it is CES. It is CES. And we are together. We are together. We are sequestered in North Carolina in my house here instead of being with all of the people that might be, I don't know, the the cesspool that is CES <laughs> normally. Right. Now with the Omicron remix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we decided to avoid that. So so yeah, we're in the in North Carolina, which is kind of a weird spot to be. Yeah. Like it's it's not quite as warm as Vegas. No. But it's still warmer than Ohio. Yeah. But remember, we go to Vegas in January, so it's not usually that warm there this time of year. Anyway, no. we're always frustrated by the fact that it is cold in Vegas <laughs> <Right>. when we <laughs> go in January. Right. Right. All right. Well, we normally start the show off with some listener feedback. Although with the CES show, we don't really typically do listener feedback, and we're not going to this time either. I did on the last episode. I said, Richard, I think we have some, but I don't know where it is. And I found it. Sorry, Anthony. It's your message. We're going to cover it next time, uh, but not not this week. For anybody who wants to to get a hold of us for a future episode, you can email us, entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. And all the rest of our contact information is going to be at the end of the episode. So let's dig into CES. Now, there's one thing that we normally do during our CES episode that we can't do, at least not in the same way. And we normally put it at the end anyway. But we normally talk about, like, what's the coolest thing you've seen on the show floor? (laughs) (laughs) We haven't seen anything on the show floor since we're not there. And covering this remotely has been super weird. Yeah. So like in some ways good because it means that I'm we probably both are just focusing on the you know the stuff that we really care about for the DMZ. Right. But it also means that we're not seeing some of the weird craziness that maybe the mainstream media might be reporting on as crazy robots and stuff like that. So probably can't do that. Yeah, but You know, it's funny because as we've been looking at things, I also feel, and we've been saying this for a number of years, I also feel like there's, there hasn't been anything that just blew my socks off from any of the news that we've heard either. No. So it's kind of like a regular CES year without a big splash for any major new technology that I can think of off the top of my head. But that said, there's still some cool stuff that we want to talk about. Definitely. Definitely still some cool stuff. So... Let's start with TVs. TVs is always the main focus, uh, really, for the show and definitely one of the main focuses for us. And like you said, nothing super revolutionary here. Some cool things. Um, but let's let's talk about what we did see, I guess, virtually. Um, and then we'll kind of cover it all as a grouping. So we'll just go brand by brand with the big ones who actually showed stuff. So we're not going to cover. Hisense and Panasonic did have stuff, but like we're talking about the major players in the space. So we're going to start with LG, um, probably because they're my favorite and probably your favorite too. So I'm going to put them first. So nothing super major here for them either. 
basically the C series is getting the same panel that the G series had last year. The G series was a little bit brighter. So now the C series is getting a little bit brighter because it has the Evo panel that the G series had last year. The G series is getting brighter, but not because the panel technology is any better. It's algorithms and processing stuff that they're just calling brightness booster, which frankly, I kind of like that name. It's not stupid. Like it just <laughs> tells us what it does. Right. So I, I kind of like that. Um, and then the only other real thing of interest here is there were a lot of people who wanted to use particularly the C2 as a computer monitor, but the smallest you could get a C2 in was 48 inches, which mm-hmm. is an enormous computer monitor. So they've, they're now going to be offering a 42 inch monitor. And if the largest that you could get wasn't big enough, they're going to have a 96-inch model also, which just seems insane. I want one. Do you have a wall big enough for a 96-inch TV? Not yet. (laughs) But I'm guessing I probably can't afford it. Well, so this is CES. So we know the cost of, let me look through the list here, almost nothing. (laughs) (laughs) The very few devices, as is typical for CES, have prices. Very few of them have dates. Like they definitely don't have da- nothing as a date, right? right? At best, you get a window. Most of these don't even have a Windows. So, no idea when any of these are coming, other than, you know, the typical time of year that these manufacturers tend to release their TVs. So, let's move on to Samsung. Not a ton of crazy stuff here either. Uh, they, are kind of at the front of the game when it comes to micro LED, which is, if if you're really confused by all of the different technologies here, micro LED is the one that we're excited about. Mini LED is cool, and it's better than regular LED in that, you know, you can put more of them in a TV than regular LED. And therefore, and therefore you get far more local dimming zones and better contrast and right. all of that. With my, like... And when when you're talking mini LED TVs, we're talking about going from, you know, traditional, like a good traditional LED, LED TV might have dozens of LED backlights. A mini LED TV could have thousands, mm-hmm. but a micro LED, it's basically one per pixel, which is eff- effectively what we're getting from OLED LED, TVs. Right. And so that might lead people to wonder, well, then why do we care? Like if it just gets us what OLED gets us, why does it matter? Brightness. They're way brighter than OLED TVs are, at least right now. So when we get to micro LED, that's going to be the the really awesome spot uh, in terms of picture quality. I tend to think the other thing that will help with is the burn-in on those shouldn't be as pronounced as it might be per color with OLED TVs. Like in OLED TVs, you can burn out a color. Whereas with something like micro LED, the micro LED itself, if it's on a lot, might dim a little bit over time because LEDs do that over time. Right. But it wouldn't be like on my TV where you have a bar of red that's missing because you always have the news lower third on. (laughs) Right. Right. Although... When we talk about 
a new type of OLED later in the show. Bring that back up because even that changes. All right. So micro LED is what we're excited about in the future. Micro LED, I think, was first announced by Samsung with the wall. I think that was their first micro LED TV. Was it or was that mini? Now I can't remember. No, it. I I think it might have been, but it's been, I don't know. Five years? It's been a while. Yeah. So Samsung is actually producing micro LED TVs and they're large, which they should be. Um, and they, but they've actually added a new one to the model line that's smaller. <laughs> it's 89 inches, whereas previously they had 99 and 110 inch versions. Okay, I could settle for that. <laughs> you know, as I was writing up the notes, I thought 99, like, why would you do 99? Why don't you just go to 100? You couldn't get one more inch out of it? Really? Yeah, who knows? Come on. Come on. Anyway, so a new 98 or uh, 89-inch micro LED TV there. Now, their, their more mainstream TVs from Samsung are their Neo QLED TVs. I hate these names. Uh, traditional LED TVs. That's what most of the ones are in that middle range of the spectrum from Samsung, or even their, their higher-end ones. Uh, the only... Big thing coming here from Samsung is some of their TVs will go up to 144 hertz refresh rate. Now I say some because that's really about all they gave us in terms of details. We have no idea which ones will actually feature that, although we can imagine that it's probably the top one or two model lines. And And that's important because gaming. It's entirely for gaming, right? Um, I mean, I suppose if. If you wanted to use one of these as a computer monitor, there are other benefits just to having a high refresh rate computer monitor. It's easier on the eyes and things like that. But these are primarily for gaming, uh, for sure. You know, gamers want to have the highest refresh rate possible um, because it makes the games look a lot better, especially in terms of of motion, uh, uh, motion blur and and screen tearing and all of that sort right. of stuff. So yeah, very important for gaming. Um, And then the other, speaking of gaming, is that Samsung is going to be bundling NVIDIA GeForce Now, which is NVIDIA's online game streaming right into their TVs. The app, it'll just be another app on your TV, which should happen starting Q2. That's one of the few date windows they gave us for anything here. Mm -hmm. Um, When it initially starts, it's going to be 1080p only, despite the fact that NVIDIA did roll out 4K streaming uh, just a couple of months ago, but it'll eventually come. So that'll be nice. The Samsung TVs already have Stadia, so you're going to have a couple of options there. Unfortunately, no Xbox game streaming yet on any of these TVs. I didn't even know that that was offered, like that that was a thing that was available yet. It's Well, it's not yet, but... Xbox has said that they plan to do it. Okay. Yeah. And CES would have been a fantastic time for TV manufacturers to announce that. But it's just an app. So I don't think it's something that would require a brand new TV. It's software. So in theory, if this app is ready in a few months, they could release it in a few months. Right. And I would imagine that they're probably working on deals now. Right. That this isn't just Microsoft submits their app to the TV's app store <laughs> thing. Right. Right. Yeah. 
they're not just your run of the mill Joe Schmo developer trying to get an <laughs> app on Samsung TVs. Right. Right. All right. So let's move on to TCL. TCL, uh, enormous, uh, enormous company. I think only second in consumer electronics to Samsung. Um, and because of that, they had 500 billion things that they announced at CES. <laughs> only about three bullet points worth of TV related things. They have a lot of different TV lines, but they've really only talked about a couple of things. And we expect there will be another, maybe not event, but at least announcement, maybe in the springtime with the rest of their models. So they did th- their biggest announcement, uh, both figuratively and literally, is they're going to be selling, it's already listed on their website, a 98-inch QLED TV for only, and I'm not being like, I'm not joking here, right. only $8,000, right? which, which is, is almost half the price of Samsung's 98 inch TV. Right. This is a, a quantum dot LED, nearly a hundred inches, $8,000. I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but if it's a good television, that's a steal. Yeah. Yeah. And TCL makes pretty good televisions. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if if you're looking for a picture that big and don't want a projector, that's going to be the way to go for sure. At least if you don't want to spend way, way more money than that. They're also working on mini LED TVs. So they did announce an 85-inch mini LED TV. And like Samsung, they said that some of their TVs this year will also support 144 hertz refresh rates. The other interesting thing is they're sticking with Google TV, which I was a little bit curious about because late last year, they started having a lot of reliability and performance issues with their Google TVs to the point that Best Buy stopped selling them temporarily. That's pretty bad. Yeah. So they did fix those issues and Best Buy is selling TCL TVs again. Uh, and TCL is sticking with it. In fact, that 98-inch model is a Google TV model. So they are going to keep selling Roku TVs. They're, they'll be there. We don't know which ones yet. And we don't know the percentage of their TVs, which will be Roku versus Google TV. But the fact that their 98-inch model is going to be Google TV kind of makes me think that they're going to be leaning more towards Google TV for their higher end TVs than Roku. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, probably. I certainly believe that the Google TV experience is far superior to the Roku experience. I know there are people that love Roku, and certainly I have a number of Roku devices that I've tested and tried as they've come out with new things. But in my opinion, it's still the old stale experience that they haven't really improved that much mm-hmm. other than letting vendors pretty much give their own app no matter what it looks like instead of forcing them to follow their model. I I think this is a smart move on their part. I I have no problem seeing more televisions coming out using that Google Google experience. Right. Are there you're way more connected into that space than I am. Are there any key apps that are missing from Google TV that Roku has? I don't think so. Other than maybe the Roku TV app yeah, who cares? Yeah. I mean, R- Roku TV is basically just a bunch of those free streaming channels, right? And you can get most of that stuff from lots of other services. Probably even on your TV. 
Probably. As we found out with the television in this room where we're recording. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, let's finish up with Sony, which I think had the biggest announcement and the coolest announcement by far and kind of the strangest one because we didn't expect it to be from Sony. Sony announced their new Bravia XR A95K because Sony is terrible with product names. Oh, yeah. It is a quantum dot OLED. And the reason that's cooler, like the, the one word answer for why a quantum dot OLED TV is better than a regular OLED is it's brighter. And that, that's the main problem with OLEDs, right? They don't get crazy bright. Right. They're not, you're not going to burn out your retinas with an OLED. So it will be brighter. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up after what you said earlier is a quantum dot OLED works completely differently than a regular OLED where you talked about the individual colors and, and, and the color filters and things like that. A quantum dot OLED actually just uses a single blue light. And then um, I forget the, the word that I'm looking for here, but then they have other ways of changing that light into the correct color. Okay. So it's just one thing. And maybe that's better in terms of burn-in? In theory, that should be better for burn-in. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So the reason that that's super weird is Samsung makes this panel, and we expected Samsung to announce a quantum dot OLED TV, and they didn't. Yeah. Sony did. I don't understand why, but uh, it, it's cool that anybody is at all. now. Sony has other OLED TVs and their regular OLED TVs will continue to use panels from LG as they've been doing for the last few years. Uh, but the, the quantum dot ones will be from Samsung. Now, the other thing that is cool about this from the Sony perspective is these will be the first Sony OLEDs that also support 4K at 120 hertz okay. and uh, support auto low latency, variable refresh rate, auto HDR, things that you hear me talk about all the time for right. gamers. Yep. Yeah. So what's what I think is hopefully a good sign here is it, it's been easy for people to say, well, of course, Sony's TV TVs don't have that. The PlayStation 5 doesn't support those features yet. Only the Xbox Series X does. Hopefully this means that this year the PlayStation 5 will support 4K at 120 hertz. Yeah. And I had wondered if maybe it would end up getting announced in in Sony's press conference, but it wasn't. So maybe, maybe hopefully later this year, but all of that is moving in the right direction for, for the PlayStation 5. So kind of overall, it to me, it seems like the the TV manufacturers have really kind of realized, oh, our biggest growth market right now is gamers. Maybe we should focus a little bit more on get the things that gamers need, which is primarily higher refresh rate displays. I mean, up until really the the OLEDs from from LG, there gamers weren't really talking about any of these TVs as the display to use for gaming. But now we're seeing you know, all the way up to 144 Hertz, which, you know, some, some gamers out there, that's not even high enough. You know, if you're an esports gamer, they're used to like, you know, 200, 300 Hertz displays, but they're also running at far lower refresh rates. 
because there's still even with Nvidia announcing you know the latest version of the 3000 series RTX chips the 3000 Ti series at CES it's still pretty difficult to get a machine to render uh, at that high of refresh rates in 4K right. it just doesn't happen right so i i think that's great seeing those higher refresh rates is really good seeing more and more TV manufacturers building in support for uh, things like Google Stadia, Amazon Luna, NVIDIA GeForce Now, and then hopefully soon uh, Xbox game streaming, I think is is going to be great. I mean, you you can't beat that that cost of entry if all it takes to play a brand new AAA massive video game on your TV is a controller and a subscription. Right. And these streaming services if you have a good internet connection, work pretty darn well. Nice. Yeah. So the other things that I think we're still kind of kind of waiting on, and I say kind of for one of them, is 8K and micro LED. And I think they kind of go together because what you and I have been saying for as long as 8K has been a thing at CES is you don't need it for two reasons. There's no content and... <laughs> To notice a difference, you have to have a massive display. Right, right. And, you know, while I'm joking about the idea of having a 100-inch television, most people are not going to be buying a 100-inch television. So to take advantage of something like that where you're going to notice a difference, you need to be up on it. And again, most people don't really set up their houses that way. (laughs) No, but with... With what micro LED brings to the table, like wall sized TVs is a pos- is a realistic possibility. We are getting closer and closer to that science fiction future. <laughs> we are. Yep. Yeah. I mean that that'd be cool. I want that someday. I hope I have that someday in my life. The wall TV. It's just the we see it at CES every year that we're there. Every year we're there, right? And it, it it's just not a reality yet, but. Everybody keeps on teasing it. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, the only other story that I really wanted to throw out there was Tableau has a new DVR. Uh, Tableau is is a, a longtime player in the, I, I like to call it the bring your own hard drive DVR space. <laughs> there's, there's a few players there. Um, and the new one is... The the new aspect to it is that it has ATSC 3.0 tuners. Mm-hmm. And for people who aren't like super entrenched in this, ATSC 3.0 is the the newest standard for over-the-air television broadcast. Uh, you know, a, a lot of us, especially those in the United States, will remember was it 2009 when we made the digital transition for over-the-air broadcast like and everybody needed to get digital converter boxes and all that craziness. But we all went back to using like traditional rabbit ears on our TVs again, <laughs> which is cool. And you got a fantastic <laughs> picture from it. So it's what cord cutters use uh, fairly frequently for TV. Well, ATSC 3.0 brings with it a slew of new features. But most importantly, it means being able to broadcast 4K HDR over the air, where all you need is a, a tuner that'll receive it and a regular antenna. Like you don't even need a new antenna. If you've still got a gigantic, you know, five foot antenna mounted to the top of your house from the sixties, that'll still work. 
or in your attic, like I have, or something like right. that. Like, yeah. you, like you've done something like we have over the years. Exactly. Exactly. So the this new Tableau ATSC three tuner, it has four of those ATSC three tuners in them. And maybe also importantly to to point out, these aren't only ATSC three. It it's backward compatible with ATSC one which is the normal stuff that you get over the air. So this will give you four tuners that can pull in regular or, you know, 4K and, and all of the other features. There's way more, like you can go down a rabbit hole of ATSC 3.0 features. There's all sorts of stuff that it could do in the future if broadcasters decide to actually do it. I'm not sure that they will because it's still, I I still think that over the air tuner reception in the U.S. is kind of a niche thing, right? It is, but as cable subscriptions wane, I'll be curious to see if we see more people picking it up. I mean, it seems like it is more popular now than it was, say, five years ago. And part of that, I think, is because a lot of the streaming services just don't offer all the locals that you want. So if you're doing the cord cutting thing and you want your local sports or you want your local news or other programming, then you, this is your best and sometimes only option for doing that. Right. Right. But I, I don't know that many normal people who are actually doing this. I can only think of a few. I don't know that many normal people. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's a fair statement. Uh, yeah. So the, the only thing that's even comparable to this is HD home run did release there. Four tuner ATSC three tuner. I believe it was last year. Yeah, and that's the last time we've been talking about this right. technology and the types of things that you can do with it. Right now, the difference is their device has four tuners, but only two of them are ATSC three. Correct. Now, that's probably fine for most people. Like, there's <laughs> right. still this is this is kind of like eight K in that there's not that many uh, organizations that are using it yet. Uh, so maybe just two of those tuners will be fine, and the other two can be for your traditional ATSC 1.0 stuff. But there are there are real studios and or not studios, um, television affiliates and stuff that are right. broadcasting in yep. ATSC three all around the country. Not in every single city yet, but every week it seems more and more cities are coming online with ATSC three. So. It's it's going to be available this spring. That's that's as solid of a, of a date that we've got here. Um, but you are going to pay a premium for these tuners. This device is three hundred dollars, and again, that doesn't include a hard drive. Now, fortunately, hard drives have gotten ridiculously cheap. Yep. So, a couple terabyte hard drive is going to set you back fifty bucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So not much. Yeah. So so not not that much there. Um, but there are a couple of other limitations with this this Tableau tuner. If you're watching ATSC 3.0 content, you cannot stream it to other devices. Tableau does allow you to stream to other devices and uh, other boxes within your house. You won't be able to do that with this content. They also support automatic commercial skipping, but not for ATSC 3 content. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that's just the the commercial skipping. Well, I guess maybe both of it comes down to 
Like, I wonder if they just don't have the processing power on these boxes to do the decoding plus re-encoding. I hope that's what it is. I'm more concerned that it's limitations somehow imposed Mm -hmm. by the new technology. I hope not. I hope it's not that. We're on video and you're not wearing a tinfoil hat, so. Yeah, well, doesn't mean I can't be paranoid. (laughs) Right. Okay, so we'll look forward to to see that get released this spring. Yeah. Hey, before we leave video, there's something that you didn't really put in the notes, but I think is worth a mention, which is the Samsung Freestyle. Ah, so, yes. You're really excited about this. Samsung, I don't know that I'm excited about it, but Samsung at their keynote announced this multi-purpose entertainment device that's designed to be largely mobile. Think of it as a projector that you take with you if you're going camping or that you move around your house or that you might take on vacation or something like that. And it can project up to, I think they said, a 100-inch diagonal picture. We don't know what the brightness is. And I was Which looking, is really important with a projector. Right, right. And I was trying to find it while we were uh, getting started, but I couldn't find it. And this thing looks... Like, imagine if, you, if you're familiar with like an uplight that you might put in a corner of a room or something for a lighting effect, and it's just like a can that has a bulb in it. It's about that size, maybe like the size of a, a small coffee can. And the end of it is the lens for the projector. And just like a lot of those lights, it's on a uh, kind of a base with a hinge that lets it go a full 180 degrees in either direction. So you can project up, you can project on a wall, you can project on, like, if you have a lofted ceiling, you could project there. They had some clever, I guess I'd call them canned scenes and loops that you can use as a fake window that you project in a room or something like that. Or you could use it to project images and colors and and shapes over a party or something like that. So they're they're trying to make this a multi-purpose device. It also has Bluetooth so it can be used as a uh, speaker. It can be an ambient light of sorts. Now the audio, there's audio on board, but it's not great. It's like a 5 watt subwoofer. So it's like I said, take it with you when you're going camping or something right. where your expectations aren't that high. Yeah. But you can hook it to external uh, external devices. It can even work with battery packs that would allow you to run it completely off the grid if if you were to still be able to watch video or something like that while you're not immediately connected to power. I think it's a cool device. It's $900. That seems to be a special introductory price. You can pre-order it now during the month of January. So it's going to be even more. For $900. The Samsung site says that that's the introductory offer. We don't know if that's going to change or not. So, yeah. Yikes. But I think it's cool. Because it's super cool. Like, and, and their demo videos, like, guys, you should go out and find videos of this because they did a really good job of, yep. of making a promo video for this. But I kind of feel like $900 is the absolute top you could charge for something like this. Oh, yeah. For, because think about this. This is a projector that 
people in your family may like, you know, pick up and move around. So this isn't (laughs) like the projector that you're like, don't touch my equipment. And it's because it's mounted to the the wall, right? right? Or to the ceiling. No, 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 no. This is, this is something that is designed to move around. It could get beaten up a little bit. Yeah. And if you're taking it camping and and all of that (laughs) sort of stuff. Right. Yikes. Plus $900 now is more than most people spend on their television. On a regular television. Correct. That is correct. Yep. Yeah. It, but it is cool. And I know you're really excited about it. <laughs> I doubt you're going to buy one. Though. I won't get one. No. We'll see. I won't. <laughs> you're not a camper, so. Right, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about some gaming stuff. Although I say let's talk about some, it's really just me. Yeah, I'm going to listen. Yeah. So let's start with Sony. And this was kind of a surprise announcement. So we've known for over a year that Sony's been working on the next generation of their virtual reality uh, products for the, for the PlayStation, that, that we've got PlayStation VR for the PlayStation 4. But now that the PlayStation 5 has been out for more than a year, we've been hoping for uh, a new version of PlayStation VR. And the very first announcement from Sony was the name, like anybody couldn't guess what it was going to be, PlayStation VR 2. I guess it's better than VR Plus. <laughs> well, it's not a streaming service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or PlayStation VR 360, as some of our other you know, favorite you companies might have done something dumb. So it, this looks really cool. It has a 4K OLED screen that each eye will receive a 2000 by 2040 resolution uh, display that'll support HDR. It'll do 90 and 120 hertz refresh rate. And Richard, they mentioned during the announcement that it does foveated rendering. Yes. And we both went, what the crap is foveated rendering? I know. I found out. I looked it up. You did? I did. Well, let me hear your official answer. Well, it's actually quite ingenious (laughs) in that it prioritizes rendering things that are in your field of view. Yes. While aware of where you're looking. So specifically, if you're looking to the left, it's going to render the stuff that you're looking at directly first and then get the periphery. So you're seeing the best possible image wherever you're looking really cool. Right. So it doesn't have to spend as many resources on things that are only in your peripheral vision anyway. Right. Yeah. It's super smart. Super smart. Uh, so it also has four cameras built into the headset. And what those do is they allow it to do eye tracking inside of the headset so they can see where you're looking so that they can handle things like foveated rendering and so that it can control what's going on in the game just by where you're looking. There are also uh, cameras on the outside of the headset that can track where your hands are moving. And that's obviously really important because hand movements in VR are super important to, to the experience. And in a lot of other virtual reality setups, that that is done with external cameras. That's just more crap you need to set up in your house and in your room or wherever you've got this set up. And that's how the, the first PlayStation VR worked. You had to set up a camera on top of your TV and it's one more wire. 
it, it's just a pain. And now all of those cameras are just in the headset, which also means only one cable to the headset. Although having any cables at all will disappoint some because things like uh, the Oculus, Oculus Quest and right. stuff uh, don't have any cables. This is more a lot more powerful than that headset. So, uh, th- but the the original PlayStation VR, I I believe it required four cables. Like it was a lot to get one of those set up. So to only have one is going to be uh, very nice indeed. Um, they also announced the name of the new controllers. They're going to be called the Sense controllers. Also, not super surprising. Um, unfortunately, no pricing, no release date. Not that surprising. My hope and expectation would be this year. It seems like the right time to release it. Uh, this this holiday, right? It would yeah. be two years out from the launch of the PlayStation Five. Seems like the right time. I doubt that they would have announced this this year at CES if they didn't plan on announcing it for this holiday or releasing it for this holiday. But what are you thinking on price? <sighs> I am I can't remember how much the PlayStation VR cost when it launched on PS4. I'm kind of guessing somewhere in the 4 maybe $500 range, which sounds like a lot when you also throw in the price of a PlayStation 5 console, right? Which is $500. Right. And so a lot of people are doing that very simple math of that's a thousand dollars. But if you want to get a high end VR setup for PC, like an HTC Vi, I can't remember the names of all of these things anymore. Uh, those headsets are $800 or right. more right. just for the headset. And you need a $1,500 or more gaming PC to support them. So $1,000 is absolutely a lot of money, but for what you're getting, it's still actually a pretty good deal. Yeah. Yeah. It had me going, maybe I should try and find a PlayStation 5 sooner rather than later. (laughs) Because, I mean, of course, the other thing that we have to consider with the release dates of any of these things is, we're still in this global supply shortage. It seems like it's still going to be an issue for at least most of this year. It's probably not going to be easy to get one of these PlayStation VR 2s when they launch. Right. So look for pre-orders. Spend your time trying to get on the pre-order list. That's how people got the consoles early. You're not going to be able to find it at Best Buy. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, just a, a couple of other quick ones. Uh, first up, a a headset that I I was really interested in. HyperX, they're known for their cloud series of headsets. They are really, really comfortable, really lightweight headsets that sound good. They announced a new wireless one called the Cloud Alpha Wireless Headset that gets 300 hours of battery life. I can't even think of any headphones that get anywhere close to that amount of battery life. No, that's like 10 times the hours that my (laughs) headphones get. Right. Now, this doesn't have like um, active noise cancellation and things like that 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 a lot of the the more expensive wireless headphones would have. But still. Yeah. Yeah. 10 times the battery life is crazy. And they're still going to support DTS Headphone X. The unfortunate thing for me is... 
They only are going to support PC, PlayStation 4, and PlayStation 5. I was really, really, really hoping that it would be basically everything so that I could use them on my computer and my Xbox, but no Xbox support. But you have a PlayStation 4. I do, but I barely play it. I play my Xbox mm. quite frequently. So that that would have been nice. These will be out in February for $199. Uh, also, LG had some new gaming stuff that they announced. Uh, the most prominent one definitely being a new monitor. It is a 32-inch 4K nano IPS display that the native resolution or the native refresh rate is 144 hertz, but it can be overclocked to 160 hertz. Maybe I just don't pay enough attention, but I've never heard of a refresh rate being overclocked on a display. That seems kind of crazy and maybe not something I would want to do. Although I've been always been skittish about overclocking anything. Right. Have you ever overclocked anything? No. Yeah, it just seems like a good way to shorten the lifespan of a very expensive device. Yeah, and I don't know enough about what I'm doing to, <laughs> to know if I'm like pushing it too much versus what's reasonable. So, no. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not OLED, it is nano IPS. Frankly, that seems like a better choice for a computer monitor. I know a lot of people want OLEDs for their computer monitors, but I'd still be concerned about burning. So I like that. Um, The fact that it's IPS also means that it's probably a lot brighter than a typical OLED. And in fact, this one has Visa Display HDR 1000, which means that it should reach a peak brightness of 1,000 nits, which is way more than most of the gaming monitors that you can find out there. It also has HDMI 2.1 with variable refresh rate and a one millisecond response time. So this looks like a fantastic gaming monitor. I mean, basically for anybody, but also for the Xbox Series X because it's got the HDMI 2.1 support. It'll very easily do 4K 120 over over that HDMI 2.1 cable. So I like this. Nice. I have no idea what it's going to cost. I'm well, I do. I'm sure it'll be over a thousand dollars, which seems a little bit crazy for a computer monitor, but that's what these things are right nowadays. They also announced a new gaming laptop, which like LG isn't new to laptops. They They've had some kind of niche laptops. The only one that I can really think of is their LG Gram, which I've held one of these at CES before. And I I had to double check that it was even a real laptop after the, picking it that up. That there was something inside. Yeah, that it wasn't just like a plastic empty shell. Like the Ikea laptop. That's, <laughs> right. That's fake inside. Exactly. It was a real laptop that you could just like chuck across the room easily like they're that light but (laughs) this is a gaming laptop from lg it's their first one in their ultra gear gaming line it's powerful but it's just kind of bad timing i think because it's got an 11th gen intel chip and it's got a 3080 uh, nvidia rtx 3080 chip in it that was great until oh this week when over a hundred other gaming laptops were announced that all have 12th gen Intel processors in them and NVIDIA RTX 30 Ti chips in them. So 
why am I going to take a chance on an LG gaming laptop when I could just go buy a Razer or an Alienware or an MS, like all of these other manufacturers who've been doing gaming laptops for years and have newer technology. Right. And I don't know if you remember what I had said to you, but my first reaction was, I don't know that I would necessarily want to buy a laptop from a company that abandoned making phones just a couple of years ago. Like, mm. I, I don't know that this is really where their expertise is. Yes, they do panels great. They, um, it, you know, they, they have good technology, but I just don't see that with all the competition out there, and to the extent that, as ridiculous as this sounds, gaming laptops are commoditized, <laughs> I don't see how they stick with this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, and and going to market with one that's essentially a year behind everything else that's going to be coming out at the same time seems like it's going to doom it from the very beginning, unfortunately. Unless they hit a better price point because of that. Yeah, maybe, hopefully. but. Yeah. Okay. And then the last news, this wasn't really CES news, but it's still important news uh, to this audience is Ubisoft announced that Ubisoft plus, which is their game subscription service is going to be coming to Xbox. And I have to say going to be, because we don't even know when they didn't give us a date even for this, which is kind of unusual. Like we're used to the gaming industry, at least giving us, windows of dates if not actual dates uh so ubisoft plus it's a game subscription service similar to game pass um but up until now or up until it releases on xbox has been primarily pc focused so it started as a pc only thing where you could download from their library of over 100 games to your gaming pc uh, and then play it there the the thing one of the things that's nicer about Ubisoft Plus over something like Game Pass is they give you the top top of the line model of the game. So if there's uh, an Assassin's Creed Premium Edition or whatever, that's the one you get in this subscription. That's Whereas nice. with Xbox Game Pass, you're normally just getting the base model game. Right. And if you want any of the later downloadable content, you've got to buy it separately. So that's that's been a really cool feature. They eventually expanded it to support game streaming. So you can stream uh, Ubisoft Plus games through Stadia and Amazon Luna. So that's cool. And and it just makes sense to bring it to Xbox and, you know, PlayStation, if PlayStation ever actually starts doing things like that. The big question for me is, are they working with Microsoft to bundle this into Game Pass somehow? Just like ea did with ea play Mm -hmm. uh right now if you have pc game pass or xbox game pass ultimate it includes ea play at no extra cost so it's all of the games in the xbox game pass library plus all of the things in ea's standalone library so there's already the precedent for it the question is what would it do to the cost because game pass ultimate right now is $14.99 a month. Ubisoft Plus is $14.99 a month. I don't want to pay double just to get some Ubisoft games. So we'll see if it happens. I hope it happens, but I don't want to pay more money. I don't want to pay a lot more money. I'm assuming that this Ubisoft Plus service isn't going to have the the caliber of titles 
that your game pass is giving you today. That is an area that you would be incorrect on. Really? No, that like their top top tier games, they release day one on this service. Wow. Yeah. So a new Assassin's Creed game comes out and it's available day one. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, the other part of their announcement this week is that their next big game, Rainbow Six Ex- Extraction, is launching on Game Pass day one. Now, it would already be on Ubisoft Plus day one, but it's also going to be on Game Pass. And it's not unheard of that a third-party game like that would launch day one on Game Pass. Uh, Square Enix did it with one of their most recent games. There are other smaller studios that have done it in the past. Um, but to see Ubisoft put a game day one on Game Pass is something I've been waiting for. Well, particularly with a service like this of their own. Right, right. You'd think that they would have some sort of window where Mm -hmm. they would have exclusive... (laughs) It sounds like you're describing the movie industry. (laughs) To their game before, but yeah. Right, right. Interesting. But, you know, they make money from Microsoft when the games are in Game Pass, but... sure. Of course, we have no idea what those deals actually look like, but they, of course, are making making some money there. Yeah, sure, sure. All right, well, that's that's it for our news for this week. There's still a lot more going on at CES. There's still a lot more for us to write about and to cover. So next week's episode, I'm sure we'll be recapping more of the CES news that we didn't get to this week. There's a lot of gaming monitors that I, I've still been looking at and things like that. So... We also didn't even have any audio news here. Right. So we'll be back next week with more CES stuff for sure. It has been a little dry there, but everything that you heard here, this guy's already been writing about. So you can get the details of the stuff that we were talking about on the Digital Media Zone now. Absolutely. All right. You want to talk about what's been going on in your entertainment center? Yeah, I think we should because the situation that we're in now where... We're together. We've traveled. We're in my second home in North Carolina. It kind of throws a wrinkle into things. And plus, we've probably watched some stuff with our families for the holidays and so forth. So uh, I'll start here from a hardware perspective. People may remember I've talked about how in the rental home, I was trying to figure out how to set up the TVs and whether I wanted a universal remote or what. And I've been really frustrated by how to set this all up. Now, I did find out, and I know I've talked about this before, that the cable boxes we have here, when connected directly to the television, just have some magical CEC thing going on where the cable tele- that where the Samsung TV recognizes this the spectrum box and lets you control it natively, complete with like items in their menu and everything. It's really slick. But in the main great room in here where everyone gathers, where, of course, there's a television over the fireplace, the TV is hooked up to an audio system and you need a receiver. And so it's a little bit more complicated. Now, despite the fact that I can take my Chromecast and plug it into that receiver and use my little Chromecast remote and control everything, turn on the TV, turn on the receiver, have it switch between anything on the Chromecast and adjust the sound and everything else. But I can't do that with a cable 
and I can't do that with the Samsung things is making me crazy. So I finally gave in and this week while I'm down here, set up the Harmony Companion remote to operate it all. And so far, it's been pretty good. Now we found some things I think are interesting, like only if you control your volume through CEC will you see on television some sort of indicator that you're adjusting the volume. So I've changed where I'm sending the volume signal, regardless of what device is providing the content. I'm always now sending my uh, volume signal to the TV. So the TV passes it through to the receiver, and then you see that it's changing on the screen. Otherwise, you may not realize it's actually working, stuff like that. But so far, so good. I think we'll continue to use it for a couple days. And if it doesn't work, then we can always revert back to the old remotes. I'll leave them on a pile on top of the receiver. <laughs> and if people don't like the universal remote, they can just do it the old way. But I know that just with three remotes sitting on the table, it confuses people. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I, was, I, I wasn't I was sure how well this would work with the angles and stuff in this room and, and the way that the equipment is arranged, but it is, it, it's worked fine for me. I think I've used it more than you have at this point. So, <laughs> and, and it's all worked pretty well. That's the other thing that I think is interesting and worth mentioning. Harmony remotes have always had amazing blasters and I have a setup where I can't easily pass a remote blaster to the television without a cord being visible, which I don't want. So I am allowing the Harmony Hub to basically blast the signal out into the room from the entertainment center, which is around the corner from the television. It's not facing the television. It's not underneath it. It's actually around the side and it's reflecting off of the windows or the shades back into the room. And it's bright enough that it's actually getting received by the receiver, by the cable box and by the television, which is on the other, like a 90 degree wall around the corner. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would love to get a camera that can view infrared light and just Yes. Watch what's happening when these things go off. Yes. Because in my head, I've always just envisioned the entire room being engulfed in infrared light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Now, as far as what I've been watching, well, we've both been watching a lot of CES videos. You more than me, because I've been sucked into some work this week, as is always the case. I've been watching some YouTube. I haven't watched any regular TV show. I think in the last week, even since we last spoke. So no normal television. I did watch a movie on New Year's Eve because all of the New Year's television coverage was crap. So That's for sure. We, <laughs> we rewatched the movie last holiday. I know I've talked about this before. Queen, Queen Latifah and um, LL Cool J. It's a cute little movie. It actually takes place on New Year's Eve, which I didn't realize, which was an added bonus, and uh, enjoyed that as I always do when we see that. And then I also just want to thank all the podcasters I listen to for not putting episodes out around the holidays, <laughs> because that helped me stay caught up, and I am still up to date on my podcast, which I'm really happy about. That is nice. Yeah. yeah. It allowed me to get through another book over the holidays. Yeah. It was nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay, Josh, how are you? 
So also not a ton, uh, definitely partly due to to travel, of course, here. Uh, played a little bit of NHL, that's normal. Played some Astral Chain on my Switch on the plane. Um, and, oh, and of course, college football on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, come on. <sighs> I, I, I saw an article just the other day that said that the ratings or, you know, the viewership of the college football games that were on New Year's Eve were significantly lower than these were the the semifinals of the college football playoffs. Okay. Significantly lower than last year when they weren't on New Year's Eve. Huh. I wonder why. (laughs) Maybe because most people are going to New Year's Eve parties. Like even if they're not going to a party because of COVID or whatever, like you're probably doing stuff. You're probably doing something that's not watching a game. Right. Right. So no kidding. The ratings were lower on New Year's Eve. I, I was shocked and, and a little upset because we had had plans to hang out with some people on New Year's Eve. And it's like, well, they're not college football fans, so I'm probably not going to be able to watch that game. Well, those plans fell through. I got to watch some of the game. Yeah, it was fine, but just super annoying that they did that this year. Um, other than that, that's pretty much it. Other than the things that you mentioned, you know, CES videos and whatever you and I have watched together. Yeah. It's been a busy week. Yeah. I mean, it, it normally is, even though we're not, you know, running all over Las Vegas this week, it's still busy. So that is a nice thing. Normally, when we record the next to last day that we're here, we're exhausted. <laughs> yeah, that's not the case now. We're uh, well rested. Yeah. We're getting nice. decent night's sleep. Right. We're not having to run around when it looks like it's a block away, it's actually a mile <laughs> or more. Right. <laughs> right. But we are missing out on some of the fun things that yeah. do come with being in Vegas. Sure. Sure. No, I look forward to going back and I honestly hope that we're there next year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I miss it a lot. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the news and what's going on in our entertainment centers. So uh, we would like to ask you if, if you like the show, the best way that you can uh, show your appreciation for is tell somebody else, get somebody else to subscribe to the show. The ratings and the reviews and the apps are nice. They don't actually do as much as all of those other podcasters are telling you they do. The best thing is word of mouth. So just tell somebody else about the show. Also, I'm trying to do a better job of getting these posted on YouTube more regularly. So if you haven't already subscribed to us on YouTube, you could do that too. That would help us out. Uh, and then if you want to talk to us, there are a few different ways you can do that. We're on Twitter. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. And the website is at DigiMediaZone. And all the rest of our contact information is over with the show notes at the Digital Media Zone. Dot com, along with a whole bunch of blog posts with our CES coverage. So hopefully we couldn't do the show live this week. The It turns out the Wi-Fi in your house here, your internet connection, the upload, man, it's not good. Yeah. You, you got to look into that. Uh, it, it wasn't great. So no live show this week, but we do normally do the show live regularly Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, but follow us on Twitter to know for sure when we're going to be live or follow us on Twitch and Twitch will notify you also if I forget to tweet ahead of time. (laughs) So 
That's going to do it for episode 575. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.